Okay. Well, I've, uh, I've got one more quick, I don't know if announcement's the right word, um, but one more thing that we're, we're going to address real quick before we get into today's message. I don't know if you, if you noticed the, the title of today's message is Servant, and so that brings up the idea of serving. And so it would be remiss of me to not acknowledge um, those that have served us and who continue to serve us, and those who have, in the course of that service, have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And of course, I'm referring to those brave military personnel in Afghanistan. We all know the chaos that is going on over there, and we've all heard the news that, um, that because of that, you know, we've lost some brave men and women who stood there to offer protection, to serve us. And so we're going to just take a moment to acknowledge them, their sacrifice, and then it's also a reminder of us um, that the freedom that we enjoy, not just in this country, you know, we have service members that have, they sacrifice much and some give everything to give us that freedom. But the freedom that we have from sin, the freedom that we have in Christ, a huge price was paid for the freedoms that we enjoy. And so it's just, a, a, again, a reminder, and as, as, as we go into today's uh, message, I think we should take a moment to, um, to thank those um, that have given so much for us and pray for, for the families left behind. So let's take a moment to pray. Father God, we come before you again. Um, Father, with uh, heavy, thoughtful hearts, Father, we, we think of those who have sacrificed so much for us. Father, we, we think of those who have um, lost their lives in service to us. Father, we think of those brave men and women in Afghanistan who sacrificed so much for us um, to, to protect us and to, to give us freedoms. And Father, so many around the world that have done the same. Father, we thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for their willingness to stand in that, that place, knowing that it may cost them much. We just pray that, uh, Father, that you would be with their families and that you would encourage them over the, the next many days as they, as they grieve that loss, that you will comfort them. Father, that you will show them much grace and mercy and love. Father, we're so thankful for the sacrifice that you, you made. You empathize with those families, Father, because you sent your son to sacrifice himself for us, to serve us, to give us what we so desperately needed, the freedom that we needed, and he paid the ultimate price for it. And Father, again, we, we thank you for that sacrifice, and Lord Jesus, we, we do thank you. We just pray that as we move forward in this, this service, as we think about being servants, that we would be mindful that there is a price to be paid to be a servant. And we just give you thanks for that, for those who have served us, 
And I pray that you would prepare our hearts to reflect on what it means to serve, that you would receive all the glory. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as I said, uh, we're, we're beginning our, our, our study into the book of James. And, and uh, you see there in your bulletin, there are a lot of scripture references this morning, a lot of them. And, um, you know, I kind of, you know, went back and forth on whether or not I should put them all in there or not. It may be, you know, like, ooh, a little, uh, a little bit much to see that. But you didn't come here to, to hear what I had to say. You don't come here to see how, how smart Pastor Kurt is, you know. You came here to hear God's word, and that's what we're going to do. God's authority, what God has to say is what's important. So we've got a lot of scripture references there, and uh, you wouldn't be a good Berean if you didn't take those scriptures and go home and, and open them up, because we're not going to have time to turn to everyone this morning, but you wouldn't be a good Berean if you didn't take those scriptures, those, that, that list of scriptures, go home later today and look every one of them up, just to see if what I said was true. So I challenge you to do that. So this morning, as, as we begin this, this thought, uh, as we go into this book of James, I wanted to, to ask how many here are familiar, used to watch the Andy Griffith Show? How many here watch the Andy Griffith Show? Most every hand up here. Yeah, most everyone. Most everyone is familiar with the Andy Griffith Show. And one of the favorite characters was always Barney Fife, right? Barney Fife. I mean... Who doesn't love Barney? And, uh, man, he, the one thing you notice about Barney was he was so proud to be a deputy, wasn't he? Wasn't he so proud to be <sighs> Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife, right? And, you know, he'd always walk around puffing up and, you know, he'd, you know, and he'd, he'd hitch up his britches and, you know, as he talked to people and, you know, he'd always brag to Otis or Howard Sprague or, or Aunt B or to Opie, you know, about how he was deputy sheriff. Yep, me and Andy, we talked about this or that, you know, and, and uh, well, you just stand back. This is a p official police business, you know. He was proud to be a deputy. He wore that badge with honor, right? Well, it also reminded me, as I, as I kind of thought about that, it reminded me of, of, of my school bazaar. And I don't know if they still do these in, in public schools or not. And, and even some small towns would do these. And uh, I remember when I was going to Parchment, actually, our elementary school there, they uh, would have these school bazaars, these fairs. And one of the things that they would have, um, and then we lived in a town uh, not too far from where we're living now, um, they had the same thing, and they'd had this fundraiser. One of the things that they would do for the fundraiser is they would have this jail. And you, would, you could put somebody in jail. And so they would have these deputies that were deputized to be able to go around and arrest people. And so you could find one of these deputies, or you could go to the jail and say, I want to file charges against so-and-so, and, and they would go, the deputy would go out, and they would find that person, and they would bring him back to the jail, and, and they would have this little jail kind of built up, and they'd put him in there, and they'd have to spend a certain amount of time in there, and then eventually they could bond out. So 
You want to get out, it's going to cost you 20 bucks. And it was a fundraiser, and it was all kind of fun, you know. And I remember as we, we lived, uh, like I said, uh, this one town, and they did that. And I remember one year, my cousin, he got deputized. And let me tell you what, he, I mean, you would have thought he was elected president. I mean, he reminded me of Barney Fife. I mean, he was just, oh, yep, I'm, I'm a deputy this year. And uh, man, he was just, he was so proud to be a deputy. And he looked forward every year to that event. They would do the same thing, you know, and he'd get ready. Yep, I'm a, I'm a deputy again this year. So, you know, so you better, better be watching out. I might be coming for you, you know. And he was just, he was just so thrilled to be a deputy. What an honor to be chosen, he thought. And so I say all that because titles are important to people, aren't they? Titles are important to people. It, it gives them standing. We were taught at a, at a pretty young age, really, that a title matters. I mean, you think back to elementary school and, and gym class. Who wants to be team captain? Oh, me, 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 me. Everyone wanted to be team captain, right? You get to pick the teams. You're the team captain. You're in charge, right? Place a position of authority. People look at me. And this continues and intensifies as we grow up, you know, and you go into middle school and it's a crossing guard. I remember the big thing was to be a crossing guard. And then later, a hall monitor, and then maybe class president of all the power that a class president has in junior high or high school. And then as you enter the workplace, that desire for a title is there too. Team leader, chief of staff, chief of finance, chief of anything, head cook, senior manager. Everyone wants a title. It's a, it's a huge deal to the millennials too. I read a, an article recently that discussed some of the factors millennials look for in a job. One of the things they talked about is they want a sense of purpose. What, are they, what is the mission of the, of the business that they're working for? They want a sense of purpose. They want it to be fun and social. You know, They, they want that to be part of the, the, the environment. They want flexible schedules. They want to be able to work remotely. But another big one is job title. Job title. The article said that this can be such an important part of some job applicant's um, desire that they'll trade us as much as $10,000 in salary to have a job that they, with a title that they consider more valuable. The motivation behind wanting that title could vary. It usually comes down to a desire to shape the perception others hold of them. Whether it's a, a friend, a, a co-worker, or, or maybe even a future employer. Think of it as instant branding more than a self-esteem boost. People aim for titles that, that make them feel important. And the better the title, the more opportunity for advancement. And that company, or, or maybe at another company where you can negotiate for an even better title. So, most people like titles. 
They can take great pride in them. Those titles make us feel important, signify our standing to those around us, how far we've made it, right? But we see a stark contrast to that in the epistle of James. Turn to James 1. James 1. And we're going to be in verse 1. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. In our introduction last week, we concluded that James, uh, the Lord's brother, was most likely the author of this letter. And if that's the case, then it's interesting that James doesn't identify, does not identify himself as that. But he, he rather simply just says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why didn't James take the opportunity to brag a little bit here? Brag a little bit about who he was. He was Jesus' brother, right? Like Barney Fife. Yep, yep, me and, me and Jesus were talking the other day. Well, that reminds me of a, of a time me and Jesus were doing this and doing that. Yep, me and Jesus. You know I'm his brother, right? Yeah, me and, me and Jesus. We grew up together. Yep. Jesus used to clean my room for me. Yeah, right? You know, why didn't he take that opportunity? Call on the name of Jesus, you know, is to, to boost himself. How many people, you know, name drop? Or, or he could have went the other way, right? We talked a little bit about who James was. He could, have, he could have wrote this and said, James, senior pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. Could have wrote that. Or how about James, the leader of the Church Council of Jerusalem. It's who everyone went to for advice. Or, or how about James, head of Paul's mission-sending organization? I mean, on and on, so many other things that he could have used to introduce himself that would have puffed himself up, let people know who he is. Don't you know who I am? Maybe it was a, maybe it was a case of humility. But the thing is, calling himself a servant was, was also not peculiar to James either. Paul described himself that way. So did Peter, and, and so did Jude, Jesus' other brother. But why did these men refer to themselves as servants? Why use such a term to describe themselves? Why should we think of ourselves as the same, as servants? Today, We'll explain why, and we'll make some observations on what that should mean for us. First of all, first thing that I want us to note is that being a servant is not the whole story here, actually. It's actually not the whole story. The Greek word actually used here is doulos, doulos. And this is where that exegesis that I talked about last week comes into play a little bit. I'm not going to go into great detail about it now, but a few notes for us to consider. 
The New Testament translators, when, when they translated this, they chose to translate the Greek word slave, doulos, slave, specifically only under a couple circumstances. When they were referring to an actual physical slave or an inanimate object, such as a slave to sin. Otherwise, they chose to translate it as servant. And that actually softens it up a little bit. Doesn't really give us the full picture. But the word used is doulos. That is the word that is used. Am I right, Tom? It's doulos. And doulos means slave. It means slave. And it only means slave. That's the only thing that it means. It never means servant. It never means worker. Never means hired hand. Never means helper. There are six or seven other words that can translate a servant, but none of them are doulos. So why would they have done this? Why would the translators have done this? It actually goes back to about the 16th century, back to the time of, of John Calvin and John Knox, and the, and the translators as they're working on the Geneva Bible. And at the time, they thought that word, slave, had too much stigma. It was, it was too humiliating of a term. It was too belittling to people. So they decided to soften it a bit. They made it servant. I mean, it's kind of close, right? Kind of means the same thing, right? Slave, servant, they both work for you, right? But what's the difference between a servant and a slave? Well, a servant is someone who is hired to do something. A servant is hired to do something. And a servant can choose who they want to work for. You don't have to take the job. What's a slave? Slave is a person who is wholly subject to the will of another. A slave is owned. A slave is one who has been bought with a price. Were we bought with a price? Yes. Yes, we were. A great price. Maybe one day we're gonna, we'll take a look a little bit closer, we'll go a little bit deeper into this whole servant-slave thing because it has very, very, very important implications as you read Scripture. But that'll be for another day. As a redeemed of Christ, we are his slaves. We're his servants. So here, James is simply recognizing his position, his title of who and, and what he is. He's a slave. He's a servant of Christ, one who was purchased and owned by another. The other thing I want us to note is that being a servant is what a disciple of Jesus is called to be. And Jesus stressed this truth on several occasions. While pointing out the faults of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he says, he says this, The greatest among you shall be your servant. 
During the Last Supper, he washes the disciples' feet and then says this in John 13, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Even by his own example as he came to serve, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's what we're called to be. It's the example that Jesus set when he came. And we're Christians. Christians are like Christ. We're to follow his example. We're called to serve specifically, too. We're called to serve specifically. We're, we are to serve God, Psalm 2:11. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. In 1 Samuel 12:24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. We're to serve Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.1 This is how one should regard us. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ. And as stewards of the mysteries of God. That's how we're to be regarded. As servants of Jesus Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. We've talked before. What is the mysteries of God? The gospel, Right? We're to serve righteousness. We're to serve righteousness. Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's what we're, we're to serve righteousness. That's what we're supposed to, to be going after. We're to serve each other. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 1 Corinthians 9.19, for though I am free from all, I have made, made myself a servant, a slave to all, that I might win more of them. Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. We're to serve one another. We're to serve God. We're to serve Jesus Christ. We're to serve righteousness, and we're to serve each other. But why? Why are we called to be a servant? What is the importance of being a servant? Well, I think the important thing that James will get to is being a servant is a mark of spiritual maturity. An immature person is usually very selfish, aren't they? Aren't they? Aren't immature people very selfish? Think of a, a newborn baby. They are very egocentric, aren't they? A, a baby doesn't care that you have to get up early for work, do they? No. A baby, a baby doesn't care that you just sat down for dinner. A baby doesn't care that you didn't sleep well last night. Baby doesn't care. A baby only cares about what it wants. Right? Rock me, feed me, change me. Very egocentric. But normally, as people grow older, 
they begin to be more concerned with the needs of others. How can I help you? Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, I don't need anything. What can I do for you, though? Right? Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what we're supposed to do. And as we do, and if we do that, then we show that we're becoming mature. But if we remain selfish, it's an indication of our immaturity. So James' description of himself fits the theme of his letter. Remember the theme of the letter is marks of spiritual maturity. So by being a servant, James is demonstrating his own spiritual maturity. We can make the point that one of the marks of spiritual maturity is truly being a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, are are you trying to be a servant of God? Are you trying to be a servant of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you are, and if you are, then you are on the road to maturity. Do you want to? Maybe you, you're You haven't yet, but you want to? Before you answer too quick, you need to consider some implications. We need to consider some implications of being a servant of Christ. Being a servant or a slave has, has several implications. It implies absolute obedience. Absolute obedience. In a a slave-master relationship, the slave knows no law but his master's word. He has no rights of his own. He is the absolute possession of his master. And he is bound to give his master unquestioning obedience. Does this describe our relationship to Christ? It should especially in light of 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, right? And then we have to come to Jesus on His terms. On His terms, not our own. Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to? Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Being a a servant, a slave of Christ, is absolute obedience to Him. It also implies absolute humility. Absolute humility. Otherwise, absolute obedience is not even possible. When we have a, a humble opinion of ourselves, we are receptive to the idea of complete obedience. If you don't humble yourself, you you won't be absolutely obedient, will you? You have to humble yourself. Consider Paul's view of himself from 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God 
that is with me. Ephesians 3.8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is Paul. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. I am the worst of them all. Do you view yourself that way? Do you recognize your position? Or do you walk around puffed up? Does this describe our relationship to Christ and His will? Jesus said it should. Luke 17.10. He's, he's telling the, the parable about the servants coming in from the field. They've been out in the field all day, and the master is at home waiting. The servants come in. He says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. Doesn't matter you've been working out in the field all day. That's your job. Recognize who you are. But if we murmur or complain about what Jesus tells us to do, can we really be considered humble servants? I don't think so. It also implies absolute loyalty. Absolute loyalty. See, we choose to become Christians and therefore, by default, servant slaves. And we were bought at an extreme price. Our master paid dearly to have us as his own. He paid dearly to have us as his own. He demands and he deserves our undivided love and devotion. We're to be loyal to him alone. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Every part of you should love him. And then, to make it clear, Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. Pretty clear. We're to be loyal to one person. It's amazing how anyone can claim to be a servant of the Lord while complaining about having to do the will of God or being negligent or lazy in doing it. God, by His grace, has offered salvation. How dare we ever grumble or complain that He calls us to a life of service? That's the least that we can do and grateful appreciation for what he has done for us. So these are some of the implications of being called a servant. It's costly in terms of service and pride and, and allegiance. But being a servant is a great honor too. It's a great honor. The early Christians called themselves servant slaves. Far from being a title of dishonor was a title by, when, by, by which the greatest men of the Old Testament were known. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, from Deuteronomy 9.27. Moses, your servant, 1 Kings 8.53. Joshua, servant of the Lord, 
Joshua 24, 29. Caleb, my servant, Numbers 14, 24. Job, my servant, Job 1, 8. Isaiah, my servant, Isaiah 20, verse 3. The prophets, my servants, Jeremiah 7, 25. These great men, they wore that title as a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor. Like, like Barney Fife. Or my cousin. They were proud to be a servant of God. To be a slave to him. Or James, brother of Jesus. We should be too. We should be too. So what are some of the marks of being a godly servant? What are some of the marks of being a godly servant? While the specific ways we serve will differ in time and place and position, there are things that all God's servants have in common. We're going to go through them as quick as we can here. A servant is humble. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Jesus, just before his death, Jesus decided to give his followers a clear picture of the attitude that they should have. See, had a meal in the upper room. He took off his, his outer garments. He got a basin. They washed their feet. The 12 pairs of feet Jesus washed belong to hairy men who walked roads shared with all manner of livestock. In a time before regular road cleanings or even baths or showers, cleaning them would have been the job of a servant, and a lowly one at that. The disciples resisted the idea that their master and teacher should stoop to such a, a thankless task. But Jesus persisted. John 13, 13 through 17, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus humbled himself in this way, and even further in his death, then we should also be humble in all we do for him and others. It's the example that he set. A servant prepares. A servant prepares. 1 Timothy 4, rather train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, 
so that all may see your progress. When you, when you hire someone to do repairs or home improvements on your house or, or maybe work on your car, what do you want? You want a professional, right? You want someone who spent hours learning and, and perfecting their craft, someone who's respected in their field. Anybody know a good mechanic? Oh, yeah, go to... So, right? That's what we want. You wouldn't take someone with, with no experience... Oh, I know this one kid, doesn't really know what he's doing yet, but boy, he sure wants to. You're not going to take him to have, have him work on your transmission, are you? But that's exactly what Jesus does. He takes complete novices with no real experience in the work of God, but through Scripture, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the church, God offers on-the-job training. He offers on-the-job training. Jesus completed the work of salvation for us on the cross. And then he brings us into it. He gives us the Holy Spirit as our counselor, our trainer. And then he sets us about his business. He has finished the work of our salvation. He has finished that work. That work is complete, but he still calls us to work for his kingdom. Therefore, with gratitude and love, we should train to be the most effective servants possible. A servant perseveres, Luke 12, 35 through 38, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning And be like men who are waiting for the master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The work that we've been given is long and tiring. And sometimes it receives little thanks or even recognition. Sometimes it may not serve, it may not seem like it's working. It may not seem like it's worth anything while it's being done. Staying committed can be a challenge. None of us is up to on our own. But thankfully, we're not on our own. The Master, He gives us others to work besides, right? He gave us others to work besides. Many hands make light work. He gave us a glorious future to work toward. And he gave us a promise that our work is not in vain. His word will not come back void. If he sends us to do something, his will will be accomplished. Most importantly, he gives us himself and working in us and through us so that we may be truly ready whenever he comes we would be found faithful. A servant serves where needed. Servant serves where needed. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may, might win more of them. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul from 1 Corinthians 9. Jesus walked hundreds of miles. 
and he likely often slept on the ground. And he was pawed at by people, and he got dirty. He had to deal with his bickering disciples. He washed his followers' grimy, smelly feet. But he did what was needed to advance the gospel. There was no task beneath him. Christ followers should have no limits to their willingness to serve. Whether that means going abroad or or going to the not-so-nice part of town. Whether that means giving to missions or giving up your free time. Whether that means changing a tire or changing a diaper. We serve. A servant serves or not as God directs. A servant serves or not as God directs. David wanted to serve and honor God by by building God a wonderful permanent house. And he drew up plans. He thought all through all the details. He got everyone together to make sure they were all on the same page. With all the preparation he had done, all the other ways he had served, 1 Chronicles 28 shows the Lord did not allow David to build the temple. It was for his son, Solomon, to build it. And David, as God's obedient servant, accepted this. Not just that. He didn't just accept it begrudgingly. He made as much ready for Solomon as he could. It was his desire to do it, but it wasn't God's plan. Sometimes the Lord says no to our plans to serve. Maybe there's someone else that's more qualified. Or maybe we're already serving in another place. Or maybe it's just not our place to serve. Talent, desire is not relevant. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily our place just because we have a talent or a gift for that. Our desire does not trump God's plan. Maybe we don't know why. Maybe we'll never know. Maybe we won't know on on the earth why we were not allowed to serve in a particular place that we wanted to. But we, we trust and we obey God. Knowing this from Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, all things work together for good. We like that part. For those who are called according to His purpose. According to his purpose. A servant expects to suffer. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Matthew 10, 24-25. As we live in obedience to God's word, Jesus' light shines through us. And people who love darkness will become convicted of their sin. And they will be uncomfortable in the light. And they will hate us and they will ridicule us. We truly seek to serve Jesus. It's only a matter of time before we will share in a portion 
this suffering. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Not maybe, not could. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We take heart that someday Jesus will stand in victory. We, and we who acknowledge him before men will stand with him. Lastly, a servant is not ashamed. A servant is not ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. We have the privilege to carry the gospel to the world. We have that privilege. That Jesus died to pardon sins and rose to conquer death. It's a joyous work that we've been given. What an honor to be entrusted with spreading such amazing news. Amen? Trusted with the most valuable thing the world has ever known. Let us serve diligently so that we can look forward to the day when our master returns, says to each of us, to each of us well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter to the joy of your master. That's what it's about. Who wants to hear those words? I do. I want to serve him faithfully. Whatever he calls me to do, no matter what he, he calls me to give up. There's many other roads I could have chosen for myself. Things that would have made my life easier. But that's not what God's plan was. And we each have to submit to the will, the plan of our master. We were bought a price. We're not our own. Now, I've given each of you as you came in one of these stars. Now I can't get it out. I've given each of you one of these. Stars is a symbol, a reminder that you as Christians, as a follower of Christ, have been deputized. Now, I originally wanted to get the big, the big sheriff deputy ones, you know, but I couldn't get enough of them, so, so we end up with these. But I wanted those really great big ones. Each of you as a Christian has been deputized You've been given a great honor and a privilege. You are an authorized representative with certain powers at your disposal. You also have great responsibilities too. So these, these stars, they, they represent your standing, your authority. As a duly elected chosen representative they're to identify you to others, to remind yourself. But I don't want you to put these on right now. 
unless you want to, I want you first to, to count the cost. You know, when they swear in new deputies, they swear in new police officers, they, they have them stand up, right? Raise their right hand and swear an oath to uphold the laws and to serve the public. Before you put that pin on, I want you to think about it. Are you, will you uphold your duties? Will you execute them faithfully? Are you willing to submit to the implications? Are you willing to serve him with absolute obedience? Are you willing to to give up your ideas of how you think it should work? Are you willing to give up your preferences, your desires, things that you think are okay, but he says no? Even when it's not popular, where it's the in thing to do, when it cuts into your plans, what do you mean quit my job and move away from my friends? What about my retirement, my 401k? Well, I'm sorry, we, we have a trip planned that week, so I'm sorry, we won't be able to help. How about absolute humility? Are you willing to accept your title? Slave? Not manager? Not director? Not team leader? Slave? Recognizing your position before the throne of God. Recognizing that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? There is neither Jew nor Greek. Are you willing to do whatever God calls you to do? Will you do it with absolute loyalty? You know, you owe no one else anything. He alone deserves your absolute devotion. The Father sent His Son as a ransom for your soul. The Son laid down His life to redeem you. You were bought at a great price. You're no longer your own. Will you commit to strive toward living up to those marks of, of a godly servant? Will you serve Him humbly? Will you serve Him prepared? Will you serve him with perseverance? Will you serve him where needed? Will you serve him as he directs? Will you serve him expecting suffering? And will you, ex- will you serve him without shame? Ask yourself those questions. And if the answer is yes, then wear that star as a badge of honor, the servant of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you humbly, recognizing who we are that we were bought at at, at great price. 
that you gave up much to have us as your own. Because of that, we recognize our position. We are your servants. We no longer have the freedom to go our own way. That is not our right. Father, I pray that you would just impress that upon our hearts. That you would give us that attitude of humility. The attitude of loyalty. Father, that we would act in absolute obedience to your will. Father, we we love you. We adore you for, for who you are and for what you have done. And I pray that you would help each of us to step into whatever it is you have called us to do, that we would serve you humbly, prepared, perseverance, wherever you call us, as you direct, knowing that we may suffer as a result. That at the end, when you come back, we can do it without shame. Hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, how we, we want to hear those words from you. Father, I just pray that you would help us to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus. We give you thanks for all that you will do in us and through us for your glory. Amen.